Do we have any dog lovers in the room this morning? Yeah? Okay. Good. Uh, if you're a trustworthy person, you're probably... Um, but maybe after food, the next thing I think that's most universally loved by dogs, at least in my experience, is tennis balls. Uh, I don't know what it is about a tennis ball, but they just have a certain obsession with it. And uh, when I grew up, most of the time, the, the dogs I had were Labrador Retrievers, and they would just want to always chase this tennis ball, which was great for me because baseball was my favorite sport growing up, and so it got me lots of practice. I'd go out and I'd you know work on my arm throwing, and I would uh, toss the ball up and, and hit it with hit it. Uh, I had like a pond and stuff growing up. I'd hit it in the pond, and the dog would get it, and uh, so it was, it was great for me. I enjoyed it. The dogs enjoyed it. It was a good time. Um, but I, I had some other dogs other than just labs, and I've noticed that although tennis balls are very, very popular amongst dogs as a whole, uh, there are some every now and then that you'll come across that are just completely uninterested in it. Like, I don't know if you have one of those, you try and like get it to play fetch, and you throw the ball in its face, and it just kind of, it's like, why'd you, why'd you throw a ball at me? Gets grumpy. Uh, so, so every now and then you get one like that. Um, but I noticed with some others, too, it's just like, okay, maybe they get really excited about chasing the ball at first, but then they get tired really quickly. Uh, this happened with me one time. I uh, inherited a dog that was given to us, actually, by the old coach. I feel like I'm ringing a lot. Is, is, am, I, am I ringing a lot to you guys? Okay, sorry. That was just driving me nuts. Um, but So we inherited this dog from uh, Xavier's actual old basketball coach. Don't judge us for that. Uh, but it was really overweight because he wasn't able to spend much time with it. And so I would go out and throw the ball for that one, but this one just, it, it couldn't hold out very long just because it was carrying too much weight along. So it, it'd go, it'd be excited, but it, it'd give out pretty quickly. And then uh, I, we had another dog that my brother got one time. It wasn't a lab. It's a little beagle mix. It's still alive, but he's very old now. And uh, he would act like he wanted to, um, he acted like he wanted to uh, chase the ball, but he usually just ended up getting distracted by a lot of other things. It's kind of like I'm distracted right now by what's going on with uh, the, the sound stuff. But whatever, there'd be a lot of different like, things that are just... <laughs> All right. Uh, there'd be a lot of things that he would just be doing that would get his attention or whatever. He, he would uh, be interested in some animal running by or he'd just be more interested in bothering the other dog. And then finally... You get some dogs that just, they know what they're about, they love it, and they just want to run and get that ball all day. That was my favorite dog. Her name was Nestle, and uh, she would just go, and, I mean, she literally would have run to death if I, if I kept going for her. She just lived for chasing after that ball. And the reason I tell this, this story is uh, because this morning as we continue in our series about the parables of Jesus, we're going to be looking at a parable that he told, which is, is kind of similar in the sense that uh, there's the, the word of God is being preached, but there's a lot of different reactions in the way that people receive it. It's the same word, but some people, they, they aren't interested at all. Some people, they seem really interested at first, but they don't last very long. There's others that seem like they're interested, but they end up getting really distracted and don't do a very good job of being fruitful. And then there's some that really are fruitful. They respond in the way that they, is appropriate to respond to the word of God being preached to them. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Before we dive into that text, though, I want to just pray with you guys and ask the Lord that he would really be with us and teach us this morning. God, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that um, you're here with us. God, we thank you that uh, you just invite us to come and to sit at your feet, to learn from you. I pray that you would remove any distractions that we have this morning. 
God, that uh, anything that we might have come in here worried about, that we'd just be able to leave that at the door. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to honestly hear and process your word today, and that we would be able to apply it to our lives. We love you so much. We thank you for who you are. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so as I said, I'm going to be preaching on the parable of the sower. You can find that. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're actually just going to look at the Luke passage today. So Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15 is where I'm going to be. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. If not, that's fine. I'm going to have the text on the screen. You see this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. All right, so the last sermon that I preached, I preached on the seed. This idea of a, the kingdom of God was a mustard seed, and it grew into something big. Here we see another farming analogy, or another seed analogy, but the seed's a little bit different here. Uh, the seed is the word of God, and the, really the big thing that we're comparing in this one is the different soils. It's the same seed that's sown in all the different places, but there's a very different result that happens, and it's all based upon the soil that receives it. And so Jesus is helping us understand there are different kinds of people that are different soils. And depending on what kind of soil you are, it's going to dictate the way that you receive and respond to the word of God. Now, before we dive into this a little bit more and start uh, looking at what these different reactions are, I do want to take a look at the context in which this parable was given. It says that Jesus did this when crowds had been forming that were following him from town to town. And this is important for us to realize because if this is the case, that means Jesus was preaching to a large crowd, probably this size or bigger, and they'd been coming from various different places. And he found it appropriate to say, okay, I need to tell them this parable. Why would he think of telling them this parable right now? And I think in all likelihood, it's because he knew that in a crowd like that, there are all different types of soils. All four of those soils were probably present. Some people that were going to receive it well, some people that were not going to receive it well. Some people that were last, some people that were not going to last. And so this is important for us to hear today, because I want you to realize that just because you are sitting here, you, you made the choice to come to church this morning, to hear the word of God, that does not inherently mean that you are good soil. Okay? I just want to be honest with you about that. That does not inherently mean that you are good soil just because you came to hear the word of God today. 
You think about this, uh, Jesus told this to a crowd that was following him from town to town. So uh, I know that everyone here has made some level of sacrifice to be here this morning. There's something else that you could be doing. The people that were listening to this had traveled at least from neighboring towns to come see Jesus, and that wasn't easy in those days. You know, it's not like they just hopped in their car and were like, we're going to go hear Jesus speak tonight. There's no such thing. That means I'm walking. And so Jesus had this um, incredible draw. Even in the first century, you know, he did it without Twitter or Instagram followers or anything like that. He would just attract these massive crowds. Because there was nobody like him. There was nobody that could do the things that he did. There was nobody that taught the way that he taught. And so there would be these big crowds that would form consistently around Jesus. And you'll notice as you read through the Gospels, oftentimes as he gets these big crowds, he'll, he'll hit them with something that's very sobering. You know, so this message here, he gives them, I want you guys to realize there, there's four different types of soils. A lot of you are going to hear this. Not all of you are actually going to respond and bear fruit the way that you should. Or if you read in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, probably one of the more difficult teachings that you see Jesus give, he, he completely confounds this crowd. There's a giant crowd that's forming, and it's in that context that he gives a teaching that says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And he doesn't really go on to explain it much more beyond that. And, or if you look in Luke 14, you see the same idea. It says that large crowds were gathering. So what does he do? He tells them that unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And so you'll, you'll see he, he gives these really difficult messages a lot of times as big crowds are forming. And why would he do that? Well, the thing is because Jesus loves people and he wants to be honest with them. He cares about them more than he cares about his own prestige, which is rare. You see, we're attracted to crowds. We want crowds. Everybody wants to be successful. And, and it is our nature to think that the bigger the crowd you have, the more people you have that want to listen to you, the more successful you're being. But Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus' heart wasn't swayed by what people wanted to hear. Or he wasn't thinking, oh my goodness, if I tell this, maybe this will drive part of the crowd away. Because Jesus' mind was always, I want people to hear the word of God, to respond, and to actually be disciples. He wasn't after crowds. He was after true followers. And so he doesn't pull any punches here as he, he lets them realize there's a lot of different types of soil here. I want you to be aware of this. I want you to be thinking about which kind of soil that you are. And so I would ask the same thing from you this morning. That as we look through this, as we look at each of these different types of soils, that you would not just say, oh yeah, the, what's the one I'm supposed to be? That last one at the end there, good soil? Great, that's me. Let's move on. If you do that, you will completely miss the force of what this is saying. Jesus is calling you to examine your heart. And as I was saying, there's probably all these different types of soil in the room this morning. So let's look at soil number one, uh, where the seed is thrown on the path. We see that this is a soil where the word of God really doesn't even uh, have the opportunity to take root. It doesn't grow up into anything. As a matter of fact, Jesus points out that not only does this not grow up into anything, but it's snatched away by the birds of the air. And so I think that this could be you if it's like, hey, the, the, they've heard it. The word of God has been put out there. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, or maybe you have a friend that keeps telling you about Jesus. Maybe you're just here this morning because they kept pestering you to come visit church with them or something like that. And so you have some exposure to it. You've heard it. But the reality is there's never really been anything that's taken root. You've never really actually resonated with the message that they're sharing with you. And 
Jesus suggests that the reason for this is actually not just that the, the ground is hard, but there's birds that come up and get this. And he identifies the birds when he explains the parable. He says that Satan comes and steals this away. The devil comes and he's stealing away the word as it's sown there. And this is a thing that I think that's hard for us to grapple with a lot of the time as 21st century Americans. Um, you know, you sit here and, and a lot of us maybe are comfortable with the idea of God. You know, you can say, hey, all this stuff had to come from somewhere. I totally believe there's a creator. But when you start to expand that, you say, okay, well, not only that, there's an entire spiritual realm. And there's actually forces, like spiritual forces of good. There's spiritual forces of evil. There, Satan is real. He actually works to oppose us and, and, and actually do things in our lives. He's trying to stop people from hearing and responding to the word of God. But this is the clear teaching of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, if you look at how uh, lost people are, are described throughout the scriptures, you'll see this idea that Satan is playing a role in actively blinding. Look at what uh, the Apostle Paul said here in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You'll notice that's small g, God of this age. I've referenced this before, but Satan is sometimes referred to in almost kingly terms like that. And the reason is because there's a lot of people that are following Satan. There's a lot of, and, and I don't mean that in the sense of there's a lot of people that are like Satan worshipers. Don't think that when I'm thinking. What I mean is Satan rebels against God. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He works against life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he opposes what the Lord wants to do. And if that's the case, that's, that's where most of us are. That, that's where you are before you come to know Jesus. And even once you do come to know him, you, I, I guarantee you still feel that pull in there. And so it's not entirely out of line for Satan to be <clears throat> described in these kind of things. But it says the God of this age. This age is coming to an end. There will be a day when Satan is done away with. There's going to be a day where Satan is thrown into the pit of hell. He's going to be punished there for eternity. And he's not going to be able to deceive the nations any longer. But right now he does deceive. And right now he does blind hearts and minds. You see this in 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26. He, uh, Apostle Paul said, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So guys, I want you to see here, coming to faith, is a, there, there's something that is very spiritual about it. I mean, there, there's, there's something that's physical in the, in, at the same time. Like, Christianity makes sense. I think that it's, it's a nice, coherent, logic, logical worldview that actually makes the best sense of the world of any worldview I've ever been exposed to. I think there's a lot of good evidence to believe in Jesus uh, rising from the dead. I have a lot of experience to say, yeah, this is how I've seen God work in my life or in the lives of others. And, and so the emotional side of it is there. But there is also a spiritual component that has to happen for salvation to take place. And so what does this teach us? Well, first off, if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know that the word of God has ever actually taken root in my heart. Then I, I think that the first thing that you pray is, Lord, give me ears to hear. That's what Jesus said at the end of this parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So may you pray that the Lord would actually give you ears to hear and to receive his word. And also for those of us that are going out, we're sowing the word of God. We're, we're sharing this with others. It, it reminds us, Helping somebody come to know Jesus involves more than just having a good logical argument and living a moral and attractive life. Those are great and those are important things. 
but, but there is a, a spiritual enemy that is working to blind the, the hearts and minds of the people that you're reaching out to. And so that means that, man, when, when we go and we do evangelism, when, if you're going out, you're sowing the word of God, you're sharing it with others, that you are engaging in offensive spiritual warfare. We oftentimes think of spiritual warfare just as us being on the attack, but when we go and we sow the word of God, we get to go on the attack. And we get, we get to go and bring the word of God into a place where Satan is actively trying to oppose it. And so we need to be people of prayer for that if you're sowing. And if you, if you feel like the word of God hasn't taken root in you, then you need to pray and ask that he would give you ears to hear. The second soil that we see is the rocky ground. Now here, th- this is uh, very different. With the other one, they've been exposed to her but never really took root. I do a lot of evangelism on campus. I talk to a lot of people and I feel like I just run into the path all the time consistently where I'm sharing the word of God with people and it just doesn't really seem to take root. But these people, soil number two, these are the ones that you get really excited about, right? Because these are the ones you're sharing the word of God with them. Oh my goodness, yeah, that's awesome. That makes sense. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to to repent of my sin. I want to go and actually live a a life that that follows him. And you're thinking, yes, this is great. These are the kind of things that you're texting your friends about, you're celebrating. Um, And the reality is, these people are not actually what Jesus is looking for either. You see, they, they start really good. There's actually no way that you could tell the difference between this one and the good soil at first, right? Like it's springing up. They're receiving it with joy. The, the way that you tell the difference is actually what ends up happening down the road. And so with these ones, although they get off to a good start, they don't come to a good end. It looks good at the beginning, but by the end it says that they have no moisture. They wither away. And so you think about this as a a plant that's put in rocky soil. It has nowhere for its roots to go. It can spring up a little bit, but it's only in that topsoil. So as long as that water keeps coming in, you water it every day, you baby it, it's going to be fine, it's going to be good, it's going to keep growing. But what about when the times of drought come? When that comes and it's not being babied anymore, it doesn't have any root to get down and get moisture. And with that, it's going to starve to death and it's going to die. And so the question for you is, do you have roots in Jesus? I can tell you, as I opened here, I said, don't assume that you're soil number four. There's probably every different type of soil in this room this morning. I have friends that have have been a part of this church even. A couple years ago, they would have looked great, like this, springing up. They, they, They seem like something good has happened here, and today they're not following Jesus. People that have either their life shows no evidence of it, or they've just straight up even said, yeah, I'm not a Christian. And this is heartbreaking. I, I, I hate to see this, and it grieves me, and I really, really hope that those people are going to return to the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, although that's difficult, and that can even throw us into some spots theologically that we have a lot of questions about, which I'm not going to get into this morning, uh, I'm just going to leave this with where Jesus leaves it. But the reality is he's telling us there's people that this starts to grow up with, but it doesn't end up lasting. And so how do you know if you have deep roots? How can you, uh, what, what can you do to even take precaution against becoming, having the fate of what happens with soil number two? Well, I think that the first place you would start is, why is it that you even chosen to follow Jesus in the first place? You see, with, with soil number two, its problem is that it's shallow. It doesn't have any root. And so uh, they, they receive the word with joy right away. I'm thinking in all likelihood, this is a person that said, yeah, oh, Jesus is going to make my life better. I'm depressed. He offers joy. I'm, uh, I'm lonely. He offers fellowship. 
I'm having financial trouble. I'm sure that God will help me out with my, with my money once I start giving to him. Whatever, some sort of thing like that where you're, you're saying, I think that God can fix these problems that I have in some way. But then as persecution starts to come or as difficulties start to come, and you thought that God would bless you with good health because that you were going to be obedient to him, but then all of a sudden you end up getting a cancer diagnosis. Or you thought that God was going to, to bless your family and bring it back together, but then your parents still end up getting divorced anyway. Or any of these kind of things that start to come about and, and you realize, man, you, you have no root because you never came to Jesus in understanding what he was actually offering, which was not that he was going to make your life easier here. You see, what Jesus has to offer is actually something that's so much better than that. What he offers is himself. He says, you are far from me. You are separated from God, but I am offering to bring you back into relationship with myself. I'm going to die for your sin so that all the punishment you deserve is taken on me. And I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness. And that's going to bring us back into relationship. And you know what? There will be times of joy. There's going to be times of celebration. You're going to be invited into a great new family of believers. All these kind of things. There's a lot of really good. But you know what? You can also expect a lot of trial and tribulation and persecution. And there's just as much stuff that you can see in the Bible that would warn you about that. Jesus constantly warned his disciples about that. And then look at their lives that would follow. They all end up being martyred or persecuted heavily in some way. And so Jesus warns us, warns us of this. But if you come to him and you realize, you know what? I realize that you are my savior. You are my only hope. And I'm going to trust in you. And whether that means that my life is easy from here, whether it means my life is hard from here, or the mix that it's un almost undoubtedly going to be, it doesn't matter. I know that I need you, and I'm going to cling to you when things get tough, rather than be bitter and mad at you when things get tough. There's an illustration that I think uh, really shows this well. You may have heard it before. I didn't come up with it, um, but I'm going to share it with you because I think it's valuable. Imagine two guys that are on an airplane, and uh, they're, they're both given parachutes, but they're told different reasons for why they're given the parachute. The first guy, uh, this guy comes up to me and says, hey, you need to wear this parachute. It's going to make your flight so much better. Like, it's really cool. Look at how sweet this thing looks. You're going to really love the feel of it when you sit in your chair. And uh, everyone's going to think that you're really cool because of this parachute. And you're just going to have something that, that nobody else has. It's, it's really going to make your flight just a much better experience. And so you sell them on it. And uh, the, the guy says, okay, yeah, I'll take the parachute. He puts the parachute on. He goes to sit down in his chair. He's like, huh. It doesn't exactly make it more comfortable. I have less room. My knees are getting shoved into the seat in front of me. Can't really lean back, but the guy told me that it was going to make my flight better. So I guess I'll just stick with it for a little bit. And then the other passengers start to see like, what, what is this dude doing? Why is he wearing a parachute on his back when we're sitting here in a perfectly good airplane? And they start to ridicule him and make fun of him. And they're cracking jokes left and right about the guy that's wearing the parachute sitting in his chair. And so eventually the guy starts to realize, huh, well, my, my life isn't more comfortable with this. I, the, the plane ride is certainly not better. Matter of fact, now I'm just getting made fun of by people too. Uh, nobody else seems to think that I need it. So he, he finally in disgust and feeling bitter, he, he throws it down. He says, I'm done with this. I don't want this. Now, there's another guy though that was offered a parachute. And the guy comes up to me and says, hey, I want to give you this parachute because I think it's going to make your flight better. But here's why. It's not actually going to make your, your flight more comfortable. The, the reason this is going to make your flight more better more better. The reason this is going to make your flight better <laughs> is because I know something about this plane. You see, I'm a mechanic, and I look this over, and I know that one of these engines is getting ready to fail any time now. 
I warned the pilots. They, they said they were in a rush, that it would be fine, they're just going to take off, but I do not trust it. I, I know there's, this plane is going down at some point. You need a parachute, and you need to be ready. And you sell them on it, and that, the guy takes that parachute, and he says, okay, he, he experiences the same sort of discomfort. He starts to sit down. He, he doesn't really fit in his seat very well. The other passengers are ridiculing him. But through all of that, it's okay. He doesn't take the parachute off. Why not? Because he realizes that that parachute is his only hope. It doesn't matter how, how nasty or mean anybody around him wants to be. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable things get. He realizes that when that plane goes down, the only way he is going to make it is if he has that parachute. And this is the difference between the person that comes to Jesus actually seeking salvation and realizing I am a sinner that is separated from God. My only hope for eternal life is, is in you, Jesus. Versus the one that comes and says, you know what, I think I'll give this Jesus thing a try because I think it will kind of make my life better. And it may for a while, it may not. So this is, I think, the difference between people that have deep roots versus those that are in the shallow soil. They're not going to pan out over time. We also see this, the thorns. So this one, with the, the rocky soil, there was kind of a clean break at some point, right? There was some sort of persecution or whatever that came about, some time of testing, and it broke it away. But with this one here, the thorns is kind of almost like a slow choke. We don't see that there's this, this idea of persecution coming and really withering it or whatever. But what we see that is that the plant can't really grow and mature in the way that it's supposed to. Because there's too much other stuff that's wrapped up into it. There's too many things that are surrounding it. There's too many things that are, are stealing the nutrients from it. It can't, it can't get what it needs. And if there's any soil that most of us are most likely to be, I think it's soil number three. And I remember the first time that a preacher I heard was actually really honest about that. I was at Beach Reach, which is a mission trip I've talked about in here before. We do it every spring break. And uh, it's a time where you go and, and you're doing evangelism for like five hours a night out on the streets of Panama City Beach. It's exhausting both physically and spiritually. Uh, you, you have to be serious about really wanting people to know Jesus to do this. So you're thinking the people that are going on this trip are like, you know, Christian superstars or whatever. Um, and, and the, but before you would go out and do the, pre, the, the evangelism, uh, I remember you, there would be some preaching. And standing there looking at a room full of people that have come down, given their spring break to do this, I remember the preacher saying, I think that most of you in this room are soil number three. And he didn't know us, so he had no way of knowing that. The only reason that that statement meant anything to me and that it resonated with me was because I realized the, the truth of it when I look at the description of soil number three. You see, these are people that... They're, they're of the word of God. They care on some level, but they also care about a lot of other things. And if there's any description of the average American Christian, I think that this is it. It's not that they don't care at all. It's not that they're willing to throw in the towel entirely uh, in, in bitterness or anything like that, but it's just like, man, Jesus is just one thing along with all of these other things that I have. And all of these other things are stealing all of my time and attention away, and frankly, I'm not bearing any fruit in my Christian life because of it. And this is, this is where I think most of us are probably standing right now. Look at what Jesus says, that uh, it's, it's the worries, riches, and pleasures that start to draw us, that, that, that start to choke this out. 
And so let's take a look at each of these things, the worries. Uh, some of your translations might say cares, but this word here, it's the same, uh, it's a variation of the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 6, which is a famous passage from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus told, tells us, you know, not to worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. But in that passage, Jesus tells us not to worry, and he gives us uh, this beautiful reason why, which is that we have a heavenly Father that cares about us, that's looking out for us, that, that knows how to feed the birds of the air and knows how to clothe the flowers of the field. If he does that, how much more does he care for you? So don't worry about what you need to eat or what you need to drink. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. And so when Jesus is talking about worries here, he's not, he's not just getting at irrational fears. I mean, this idea of worries is communicating that everyday stuff in life that we all have to take care of. The problem is sometimes that everyday stuff in life that we all have to take care of is what ends up consuming our minds. It does create anxiety, and it's what takes almost all of our time and energy. We take care of that stuff first, and then if we have time to fit Jesus in, we do that. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's backwards. I want you to seek God's kingdom first, and all these things will be given to you. See, it's not that you can entirely neglect those things. You, you need clothes. You need food. God knows that you need those things. But what's important is that your priority is seeking him first. And I think that the people that are soil number three have that a little bit confused. There's a tendency to, to seek those things first, and then if I, can get, if I can seek God's kingdom at the same time, or maybe a little bit after it, then I'll do that too. And so uh, our, our fruitfulness ends up becoming choked out because we're more concerned about our school than we are about pursuing the Lord. Or we're more concerned about our work than we are about pursuing the Lord. Or our, our dating relationship than we are about pursuing the Lord. And once again, I want you to hear me here. I, I'm not, it's not even that all of these things are naturally opposed to each other. Right? Jesus said, your father knows that you need these things. But the, the priority with which they, they stand in our heart is very significant. And that will manifest itself in your actions. If God's kingdom is first, you're going to be having time to go and you're going to bear fruit. You're going to be influential. You're going to change as a person. If God's kind of an afterthought or, or just even on the same level as a lot of other things, your fruitfulness is going to be choked out. So how do we, how do we help with these these worries and anxieties. Because I know a lot of time the stuff that we have right in front of us is almost like, I wish that it didn't matter so much to me, but I just can't stop worrying about it or thinking about it. And, and telling a, a person that's a worrier not to worry is like telling a drowning person not to drown. And it's like, thanks. I, w I wish I wasn't drowning, but there's not really, if I knew how to not drown, I would. And the good news is Jesus doesn't just leave us with that. He tells us not to worry, but with that, there's even this hope that, hey, maybe I actually could live a life that's free from worries. And you know what? How, how does he tell us? Well, he, he tells us by reminding us about the way that God cares about us. He says, look at the birds of the air. God cares for them. Look at the flowers of the field. God cares for them. Your heavenly Father cares for you. This is the antidote to worry, that you would sit and soak in the reality that God loves you and cares about you. If you look in uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul communicates a similar idea. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do we do? We have to, to take 
everything that we're anxious about. Don't, don't be anxious about this. Remember God. We, we, he gives us the opportunity to rejoice in him and pray. Ask the Lord to, to help with these things, to take these burdens off. And then just like give him a chance. Actually see, see what he can do when you stop worrying about it just for a little bit. Like, will you have the faith to, to stop being anxious over so many things that you can't even control? And I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying neglect. Neglect and not worrying are two different things. But will you give God a chance to actually help start attacking some of the anxiety and worry that's in your life? As a church, I, honestly, as Christians, I think that we are way too comfortable with anxiety in our, being in our lives. Um, you know, a lot of the other sin areas... We, we attack them seriously. You know, you got a lust problem, you confess it, you have accountability, you have measures in your life trying to help you with that, you learn strategies to try and help yourself have victory next time that you're tempted in lust. Um, and, and there's other things that we'll do in our lives like that too, but for some reason with worry, it just seems like we're okay with letting that sit in our lives. And it's almost like we don't take Jesus seriously when he literally commands us not to worry. Like, this is an important thing for us to grasp. God wants you to be free from that. Whenever God gives you a command, he's given it for your good. And you know that it'd be good for you to not worry so much. And so, man, my my encouragement to you would be take heart. Remember the way that God cares for you. Next time that you're anxious, next time you're stressed out about the test that you have, next time you're worried about whether you're ever going to get married, whatever it may be, like, learn to just go to God and ask him to help you with those kind of things, to give you that peace that surpasses understanding. You see, not only is it the worries of life that can start to choke us out, but also the riches. Riches have a way of getting at our hearts, and we can become so interested in pursuing money. And uh, I love this proverb. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, "'Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion.'" That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. I think that's a great prayer. You know, that, that we would ask God, you know, I, I don't want to be so poor that I can't support myself or anything like that. But also, I don't want to be so rich that I, I forget about you. Because, man, when we, when we do, if you build up those riches, I'm not saying that you can't handle them well. But they're going to be a temptation. And they, they can have a tendency to start to draw our hearts away and choke out fruitfulness in your Christian life. And then finally, how about pleasures? You know, pleasures aren't inherently bad either. God is the creator of, of all these awesome pleasures that we have the opportunity to enjoy. Now, some pleasures are sinful, and you know those things, like sexual morality and drunkenness. You know those are things that, that you shouldn't be pursuing that ultimately run dry. But I think there's other pleasures that are neutral that we oftentimes pursue that choke out our fruitfulness. Sometimes even things just as simple as like comfort, like wanting to be comfortable all the time. If you really want to be comfortable all the time, you're not going to be that fruitful in your Christian life because Jesus is going to call you into places that are uncomfortable. He's going to call you to make sacrifices that you don't necessarily want to make. But it'll produce fruit. May we be people that start to learn to, to weave these things out so that we can grow up into the mature plants that we're supposed to be. And finally, we see here the good soil. This is the soil that we all hope to be, right? It's, it's planted here. It grows up. It has roots. It perseveres. And we see that by persevering, it produces a crop. That's what Jesus said there in, at the, in verse 15. And so we, we see that there's three things that happen here. That With this, they hear the word. They retain the word, and they produce a crop. So hear the word. All four soils heard the word. Even the path heard the word. 
But with this soil, they really hear it. They, they come and they, they understand it. It takes root. They realize that, you know what? God is God. Everything that he says is right. And if I disagree, like, I'm the one that's wrong. Like, I, I want to submit to you. You are my king. I realize my actual need for you. I'm coming to you not just because I think that I can get something from you, but I realize I am desperately in need of you. And I also realize that you love me a lot and that you want me to come. And then you retain it. Because you've come to Jesus in, in, in sincerity, as the difficulty comes, uh, the, the sun comes out and scorches you, you have these times of testing, you persevere through those trials. And then finally, because you persevere through those things, you produce a crop, right? The, the second soil, if it had persevered, that, that rocky soil, if it had persevered, it would have produced a crop, but it couldn't make it through the times of testing. And so with us, if you want to be good soil, you have to learn how to persevere in your faith. And with that, it will produce a crop. Now, what exactly is this crop that's produced? That's something that Jesus doesn't actually tell us explicitly what it is. It just says that it produces a crop. What is that? Does that mean that it produces Christian character? Does that mean that it produces other people becoming Christians? And I would say probably all of the above. You see, because remember, what is it that's being planted? It's the word of God. So as you read the word of God, it, when, when it starts to grow up into you, it should be producing a crop that reflects all of the things that it teaches. So as the word of God teaches you how to live your life and the kind of human being that you should be, that, that's fruit that starts to be produced as that character is manifested in you. And at the same time as it, as it tells us that we need to be people that go forth, that we need to sow seed ourselves, that we need to go and make disciples, that, that the crop that's produced, you start to influence not only yourself, not only do you change, but you start to influence those that are around you as well. And this is what a healthy plant does. Not only does it grow up nice and strong in itself, but it sends out seeds and it affects the area that's around it. There's more things that grow up with it. This is who we want to be. But the question for us is, who am I right now? If I was to take an honest look at my life, what soil is it that really represents me right now? Am I, have I ever really had the word of God implanted in my heart? You know, th think about that. Have you ever come to really, truly understand your need for Jesus Christ? Have you come to truly understand that and say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I will follow you wherever you tell me to go. Everything that I have is yours. My life, my possessions, my thoughts, what it, it, it belongs to you. Have, you. have you heard that? If not, then, then man, maybe today you're hearing that for the first time. You say, I, I want to start following. Then I would encourage you. There, we're going to have people in the back that you can pray with. Go, find, go pray with somebody and say, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. You know, maybe you're, you're more like soil number two where you realize, hey, you've, you've responded well, but you're not sure how you're going to respond in a time of testing. And so my question is, how is it that you plan to persevere through times of testing? How is it that you plan to persevere? How are you going to build deep roots? I think that a part of the way that you build deep roots is by learning to commune with the Lord, learning to treasure his word. So reading that, praying, practicing what we call spiritual disciplines, things that you can do to help yourself grow closer to the Lord. But I think another way that you can help persevere through times of trial is by being connected with other believers that can help you. You know, there's a, I've heard about trees that have these complex root systems sometimes to where they can actually intertwine with each other. And their roots will go down and, and there's this incredible strength that's drawn as all these roots start to come together underground. And 
you were never designed to follow Jesus by yourself. Like, you're designed to do this in community. And so you hear us up here and we talk about these things like, you know, you guys should check out the life groups. You guys should do the well. You should come to the fall retreat. We're doing those things for a reason. Like, this church exists here for a reason. We don't exist just to sustain ourselves. That's not why. I'm not here just because I need a job. I could find an easier job than what I do right now if I wanted that. I'm here because I want you guys to know the Lord and to grow up into maturity in him. And so if we're doing these things where we say, hey, we think the life group is valuable or the, or the well or the fall getaway, we're saying, yeah, why do we think that? Because it's so important for you to be connected with other believers. These are going to be the people that help you as you go through those times of testing because I guarantee whenever you find yourself in that, you are going to want them. And people in here that have been through those times of testing can testify to that. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yes, right? He's warning against falling away. That's what we saw happen with soil number two. And what does he tell us? Encourage one another day after day. That is why we are gathered here together. It's to be people that encourage each other day after day. And finally, with the thorny soil, what thorns are there that might be in your life right now that are choking out fruitfulness? You know, maybe it's something that's sinful that's in your life that you realize you need to draw. Maybe this is an addiction that you need to come clean with and you realize that you need, I need to confess this, I need to get help with this. This addiction is, is, is stopping me from being fruitful. Um, you know, may, maybe, it's, maybe it's just the, the worry that we were talking about. You realize, man, I, I have way too much anxiety in my life, and I've just been choosing to like, accept that and live with that. And I need to just start praying and asking other people to pray for me that God would start to give me more peace and an ability to trust him. You know, maybe it's just you've got too many things that are sucking your time. You know, you're involved in six different student organizations and you've got, you know, tons of different, you're a double major and, uh, you know, you, you work part-time and all these kind of things. You say, I've just got so many things in my life that my brain is always thinking about something other than Jesus just because I, I don't have any, any margin in my life at all. Then maybe you need to consider cutting some of those kind of things out. You see, look at it in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, man, that whatever's hindering me from running this race, let's throw it out. You know, if I've got idols in my life, things that are more important to me than Jesus, let's throw it out. I want to learn to really seek his kingdom first. Like, and, and I want to, so, so I want to be a good student, but I want to be a good student that honors the Lord. I want to be thinking about God when I go to my class and how I can represent him well there. I want to be thinking about how, if I believe he's been calling me to come and study this and to go into this field, how I can, can use this job that I'm eventually going to get in a way that's, that's glorifying to him. 
I want to use these years that I have living in the dorms to be a light in the place where I live. Whatever it may be, how, how can you learn to seek his kingdom first in all these places? As you go about with, with the regular things that you need, seek his kingdom first and God is going to take care of you with other things. Guys, I, uh, just as I close here, I want to let you know God loves you more deeply than I think that you comprehend, more deeply than I comprehend. And I want to tell you as well, I, I get the, the temptations of all these different soils. I was just even thinking over my life this, this past week. And the, the temptations that come along with soil number one, just this idea of unbelief and doubt, how I've struggled with that some this week. Or with, with soil number two, just wanting to throw in the towel when things get hard or being discouraged about different things. I've struggled with some of that this week. Or, or things uh, just distracting me, dividing my attention in a million different places. I've struggled with that this week. I, the, the temptation of all these kind of things are real for me. And I'm, I'm confident that they're real for you too. But the good news is, like, man, God has, has brought you here this morning, and I, I pray that he would give you ears to hear, and that we would be people that are constantly listening for his voice, that we'd constantly be responding and bearing fruit in the way that he's called us to, and that we'd be constantly encouraging one another in this process. As, as we're going through those times of testing, or we see that there's too many things in our life that are choking out, that we would have each other to help point those kind of things out. Because don't we want to be a people that bear fruit for the kingdom? Like, don't you want to see God's fruit in your life? Don't you want to become more like him? Don't you want to start to impact those that are around you? Man, God can do amazing work. Just the room, even this size. Think about that. If we were all to be good soil that produced a crop. And this passage has said that, this, that it produced a hundredfold. Think about that. Think about that crop that can come in. So... I love you guys. I want to pray with you. The band can come back up here. <clears throat> um, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you that uh, you've sown seed in the first place. God, I thank you that um, you, you've come and that you took it upon yourself to tell us who you are. And to tell us who we are, God, when, when we were blind, when we were stumbling around in the dark, when our eyes were blinded by the God of this age, God, that, that for, for many of us in this room, you have opened those eyes. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you've given us ears to hear your word, Lord. And if there are people this morning that are hearing it for the first time, I pray that it would take root. God, that a plant would grow up and that not only would it start to grow, but that it would continue to grow and that there would be deep roots, that they would persevere through times of testing. Lord, we ask that uh, you would show us any areas in our lives where we might have thorns that are choking out fruitfulness, that you would cut those out, God, that weed those out of our lives, remove the thorns from the soil uh, in our hearts, and, and God, just clear us to, that we would be good soil that produces a crop, that grows up, produces a crop a hundredfold. Lord, we love you. We want to be more like you, and we pray that you would work in us. Give us the response that you want us to have, Lord. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.